time to be human. And it's a series on Sabbath rest. Oshida kicked it off first. And she talked about this picture that God had given, a, given her for our church. It's a picture of a field that is supposed to lie fallow. And she explained some important things about fallow ground. I think these are important for us to review. She talked about how the biblical command to let the land lie fallow for a season, what it meant for ancient Israel and what it means for us today. She talked about several things. First, fallow ground is intentional rest. Fallow ground is intentional resistance from a certain way of producing. Fallow ground is intentionally trusting God to provide the harvest. Fallow ground isn't ground that doesn't produce. Fallow ground produces in a more organic, patient way. Fallow ground is nothing to be ashamed of because fallow ground doesn't mean laziness or a lack of skill. Fallow ground isn't intended to stay that way forever. So we laid some of this biblical groundwork for this series by rooting our teaching in the creation narrative itself. And this, uh, this idea that on the sixth day, God created human beings in God's own image. And that God's image, the Imago Dei we call it, is both an identity and a calling. To be created in God's image is to be given a vocation to serve as God's representatives. Then we saw that on the seventh day of the story, God takes up God's rest. And we talked about how this is probably a little strange to us in the modern world, but in the ancient world, that idea of taking up rest was an idea associated with the temple or any temple. And so this meant God was indwelling the world as a cosmic temple. And the rest of the deity in the ancient world was about that God's rule and reign. So that's what God is inviting humanity into, is into God's rule and reign. An analogy for this could be a uh, would-be president or a president-elect. This newly elected president, he or she would take up their residence in the White House, but the White House would also be like a command center, the beginning of that administration. So this is how Sabbath first comes into the biblical story. God's rest is God's rule and reign in the cosmic temple, and human beings are invited into God's rest. This week we're going to look at this passage in the gospel that Oshida's already read, and this concept of uh, the Sabbath is going to take on some new, new dimensions. Now, a little caveat here. We have jumped over quite a bit of the narrative arc of the Bible, going from Genesis all the way to Matthew. And we're going to revisit some of the development of the Sabbath command uh, in later messages in this series. But this week, I just couldn't shake the feeling that it was so central, so essential that we get to these words of Jesus about rest. I'm going to read them again from Matthew 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble 
and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the, and the burden I give you is light. So some of you have heard part of this before, but uh, this, this passage from the words of Jesus really resonates with my, my own story, or at least a part of my own story. When I was uh, a child, um, my childhood was just filled with a lot of challenges. And, uh, and I grew up desperately poor, the only child of a schizophrenic single mother. And at a very young age, I got involved in a lot of dangerous behaviors, and it nearly cost me my life uh, at the age of 16. But shortly before I turned 17, through a series of unlikely events, I found myself at a baptism service at a Pentecostal church. And through a kind of profound moment of prophetic utterance from a pastor, I was struck to the heart, and I responded in faith, and I was actually spontaneously baptized uh, in that service. But here's the part that connects with this passage. When I was baptized, and I came out of the water, I felt a physical sensation of lightness, like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And I, I'm fully aware that in that season of my life, I was under an intense amount of stress, and there could be a psychological effect of that stress being relieved. But I also feel like there's a dimension of this, this experience for me that was just totally miraculous. That's the day that I felt like Jesus began to heal me. And of course, I'm still on that journey. We're all in that process. But that sensation uh, was the first step in a renewal process for me that, is, that I'm still a part of. And Jesus is, in this passage, talking about that kind of rest. A renewal rest. A rest that rejuvenates. A rest that is an ongoing, continual process. Of course, he's also talking about oxen, right? He's also talking about this thing, this device that you put on actual oxen. Uh, and the idea was that if you had a strong ox and a weaker ox, you would yoke them together and the stronger ox would carry more, more of the burden for the weaker ox. The original audience that Jesus was speaking to uh, would understand this and, and they would also know what this meant in their lives. They would know that they were burdened by many things in their lives. Now, it's possible that Jesus' original audience would have heard this and felt like it was a message about their personal sense of guilt. Maybe. But we have to remember that ancient Israel was a collectivist culture. They probably didn't understand it that way. They probably heard this message more in the light of the burdens that they felt socially. The burdens that they felt collectively. Collectively, Jesus' original audience was burdened by the military occupation of their homeland. Rome was a brutal military force that had invaded their homeland. It's also likely that they, they heard this message in light of the way that the experts and the teachers of the law talked about the Torah. That it was a yoke that they must carry. And they heard this in light of the self-righteous performance of the Pharisees. That they will never measure up to that. 
the Roman Empire and the religious leadership in the first century made these things feel like a heavy burden. Physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. As we come to these words today, we have to ask ourselves, what in our context are we hearing these words speak to? What is it that is weighing us down today? Some of us in this day and age, in this country, are weighed down by the weight of systemic injustice. That's a part of our lives. People feel that on a day-to-day basis, and it feels heavy. Many people experience this, uh, this feeling of not fitting in, of being out of place. We call ourselves, what, a community of misfits. A lot of us have this experience, that we don't fit neatly into the pre, pre-described boxes. And many of us carry some of that weight. I know that there are women in this room who feel the weight of misogyny and patriarchy in this culture. Just this week I heard a story of a woman who was told by her father and by her father's pastor and by colleagues in seminary that she could not be called to be a pastor. That's a burden that, that many women I know carry. That they are called and gifted, but they are told over and over again that's not possible. There are many, there are likely some of us who feel a burden placed on us by family or by strained relationships in our family, by responsibilities, even by shame. And then there's the American grind. Even if none of that applied to you, there is the American grind. There is the rat race, the pressure on us to earn, to achieve, to succeed, to provide. And we all have this kind of nagging sense that we're not measuring up in American culture. Then there's the guilt that some of us feel personally because of individualism. We have internalized personal guilt. Maybe it's the strain of broken relationships. But the message of Jesus speaks loudly to us from 2,000 years ago. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage. Have you ever heard the message paraphrase of this passage? It's beautiful. Eugene Peterson translates this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The part of that that really resonates with me is the is the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what I think of often. When I was a student in Bible college, I was part of a Christian culture, subculture, that was highly legalistic. We had rules for everything. No TV, no movies, no holding hands in public. I think Oshita and I got in trouble a few times for public displays of affection. And There was a sense in which holiness was 
maintained by staying away from those people, staying away from those things, do, you know, those kind of activities. I feel like what Jesus is teaching us in this passage is that Jesus has a way of holiness that we can follow in his footsteps and it's unforced. It's not a prescribed, legalistic, coded system that we are forced into. But it is an apprenticeship, a following of Jesus. Jesus went around gathering to himself a community of misfits. People who, who, over whom he pronounced belovedness. Over whom he pronounced chosenness, belonging. And there's a kind of rhythm to that. That community that Jesus formed. I like to think of it as a beat. It's not a dull hum. It's a vibrant beat. The way of Jesus isn't an eardrum assaulting roar. It's more of a compelling rhythm that makes you want to dance. To follow Jesus is to learn Jesus' unforced rhythms of grace. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are the rhythms that we are practicing right now? What, are the, what is your week-to-week, day-to-day, month-to-month rhythms? Does it feel like a restful rhythm of grace? Or do you feel that burden? Some of the things that I described earlier. The rat race, the weight of misogyny or systemic injustice. Sometimes people are surprised when I tell them that my most important spiritual discipline is keeping Sabbath. People assume, well, you're a pastor, it must be reading the Bible and praying. And those are important for sure. But the most important rhythm in my life has, has been for many, many years keeping a weekly day of rest. Here's why it's important to me. And I think I can, I can uh, confer this upon you as well. My weekly rhythm of rest teaches me that I am not the center of my life that God is. It teaches me to prioritize what God prioritizes. It puts me in a posture of trusting in God. And it teaches me and reminds me that if God's spirit is not energizing my efforts, then I'm laboring in vain. I'm not legalistic about my day of rest. I don't make a bunch of rules about it. Sometimes I get to take more advantage of it than others. But I do try to make it a priority. Because I'm constantly tempted to live in my own strength. I'm constantly tempted to just dance to the rhythm of the world into the rhythms of American culture. So, in light of Jesus' invitation into rest, in light of the ways in which we can all be burdened and weighed down, I want to invite you to participate in an imaginative exercise with me. Would you do that? Do you, do you guys know that the imagination is a really powerful way that God can make something feel concrete in our lives? So let's, let's do an imaginative exercise. Close your eyes if you will, if you're willing. Imagine that you have a backpack on. You can feel the straps on your shoulder. You can feel the backpack 
pressed against your back. And you could feel the weight of that backpack. Do you remember going to school when you were a kid and you had way too many textbooks in your backpack? And if you stood like this, you start to lean back. Feel the weight of that backpack for a minute. And then imagine yourself taking that backpack off, setting it down, unzipping it, and looking inside. Sometimes in imaginative exercise, we can give form to some of the things that are somewhat abstract in our lives. So as you're looking inside your backpack, what form do the things in that backpack take? What does it look like that your, that your burdens, what form do they take? In my backpack, there is a punch card machine. Because I feel like I, I'm clocking in, clocking out every day. I see a punch card machine. Stick the ticket in and cha-ching. What form do your weights take? Now I want you to imagine that you pack that backpack back up, put the things back inside. And I want you to imagine that you, you set that backpack at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is standing there facing you. You take that backpack and you set it at his feet. And these are the words that I want you to imagine yourself saying. You can say them in your mind. You can say them out loud if you want to. I'm going to say them out loud. Jesus, I've been carrying around this heavy burden. But I just want to give it to you. You say your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So teach me your rhythms of grace. You can open your eyes. I've been reading this book called Sabbath as Resistance. I'm going to talk about it more next week. It's a wonderful book by Walter Brueggemann. Walter Brueggemann says, I have come to think that the moment of giving the bread of Eucharist as gift is the quintessential center of the notion of Sabbath rest in Christian tradition. It is gift we receive in gratitude. Imagine having a sacrament named thanks. That's what Eucharist means, thanksgiving. We are on the receiving end without accomplishment, achievement, or qualification. It is a gift, and we are grateful. <laughs>